Midtown Detroit studios of WDET. This is Detroit Today. Today we are going to talk about access to electric and gas power on the heels of a report by Outlier Media and ProPublica that shows DTE shutting off hundreds of thousands of customers at the height of the COVID-19 pandemic. Why did that happen? And how do we shift the paradigm away from basic necessities like power for profit and toward a model of ensuring access regardless of the ability to pay? It's all next on Detroit Today. But first, the news from NPR. Welcome to Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, thanks for tuning in. So it's something that most of us just kind of take for granted. You get up in the morning or come home at the end of the day, you turn on the lights or fire up your furnace, and you find comfort thanks to the energy electricity and gas that flows into your house. Now, there are big, super profitable utilities that are providing that energy, though, and it comes with a cost. Don't pay your bill, and you won't have access to that energy. And in Michigan, companies like DTE, which have near monopolies on the providing of power to people, can charge based on the demands of their investors instead of the needs of their customers. Despite regulations and state oversight, power is almost exclusively about money. Who has it and who doesn't? During the past two years, hundreds of thousands of DTE customers in Southeast Michigan fell behind on their bills. No surprise, we had a pandemic that disrupted everything, turned people's lives upside down, and cut people off from the money they needed to sustain their lives. And so as a result, a lot of those folks had their power shut off by DTE at various times. This is according to new reporting in ProPublica, a national nonprofit news organization. When those people had their power shut off, that disconnected them from the wider world, which was particularly scary during the height of the pandemic. And it took away from them a precious resource. Think of how dangerous it is to live in a house that doesn't have power. Think about what that means for families. People with little kids. Why did that happen at the most desperate time that any of us has probably experienced in our lifetimes? And how can we change things? How can we stop making power, access to power, just about money? Who has it and who doesn't? A little later in the show, we are going to talk specifically 
about how we might shift away from the idea of necessities like power being subject to for-profit ideals and toward them being more public goods that everyone has access to regardless of their ability to pay. But first, we want to talk more about this new reporting, and we have the author of that story with us. Sarah Alvarez is the founder and editor-in-chief of Outlier Media, and she wrote this piece. It's titled, Lights Out, Profitable Utility Companies Shut Off Electricity to Homes Hundreds of Times. Sarah, welcome back to Detroit Today. Thanks so much for having me. It's good to be with you. Yeah. So you reported that hundreds of thousands of Southeast Michigan homes had their power shut off during the onset of the pandemic because they were behind on their bills. Now, a lot of the narrative around that time was about people getting breaks from uh, from financial obligations in order to, to keep them in, uh, in, in some level of comfort. Uh, talk about why this happened uh, from DTE, which is the power company that we all rely on, and uh, how we know that uh, that they didn't uh, spare a lot of people who were financially strapped from the consequences of not having money. Sure. So DTE, what happened in Michigan, let me just say, what happened in Michigan was different from what happened in a lot of states. So when the pandemic began, um, about 34 states decided, you know, they, they made either a rule, the governor made a rule, or the legislature made a rule that said that power would not be disrupted for people. In Michigan, the state left it to the private utilities to decide how long any grace periods would last. And so DTE did have a grace period it didn't shut anybody off in April, May, or June, but that grace period lasted, you know, only those months. So that was different from, you know, consumers energy, for example, who extended that grace period to eight months for um, almost all residential customers. And that's why those numbers are very high for DTE. It's because the grace period was short. And it's also because DTE you know, before the pandemic was shutting a lot of people off, right? It's not that this behavior began during the pandemic. It's that going back to 2013, which is when the state first started keeping track of, you know, how many shutoffs were happening, that those numbers have been higher for DTE when compared to other utilities in the state since then. And uh, let's talk about that pre-pandemic context. Shutoffs have been a big issue in Detroit for a really long time. We've had, I think, um, a, a really long argument, I guess, about um, the, the way in which uh, DTE in particular uh, handles people who are behind on bills who don't have enough money uh, to keep power to their house. Um, uh, but this was the highest number of shutoffs, according to your reporting, since 2016. And I think that reflects that there had been some pressure on DTE to get a hold of this problem in a different way and to stop cutting people off. So, so let's talk about why the pandemic looked different and worse uh, than, than what had been going on for, for several years before. Well, it may be because people were more financially strapped. 
It's also because electricity is very expensive. Um, that's also something. I think a lot of times this conversation around shutoffs is a conversation about how much money people have. And, of course, that's definitely part of the equation, right? People who have a lot of money don't struggle with this issue. But it's also a question of how expensive this service is. And in Michigan, we are paying some of the highest rates of electricity um, when compared to the rest of the country. That's, you know, the price per kilowatt hour. That's what the rate is. I don't know why, you know, shutoffs ramped up. That's not something that DTE, you know, told me. What I do know is that it doesn't have anything to do with the grace period. One of the arguments from the Michigan Public Service Commission, which is the body that regulates utilities, one of the arguments against putting into place, you know, a, a outright ban on utility disconnections was that if people had this longer grace period, that they would get really far behind and then they wouldn't be able to get catch up and either they would be living with that debt or they would be having more shutoffs. But, you know, here we are able to look at DTE, which had the short grace period versus consumers, which had the longer grace period. And that number after the grace period ended for consumers, it didn't go up. So we don't think that it's connected to that grace period. And we really don't know why the number was so high in 2021 when DTE disconnected accounts 178,000 times. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm talking with Sarah Alvarez. Uh, she's a journalist who is the founder and editor-in-chief of Outlier Media. Uh, she has new reporting in ProPublica, national nonprofit news organization titled Lights Out, Profitable Utility Utility Company Shut Off Electricity to Homes Hundreds of Thousands of Times. Uh, we're talking about the way in which DTE Energy, the largest energy provider, uh, especially here in Southeast Michigan, handled uh, the 2020 and 2021 uh, COVID-19 pandemic uh, time at which so many people uh, were strapped financially, uh, how they responded to people not being able to pay their utility bills, and how that compares to the other big utility company in our state, Consumers Power. Uh, we want to hear from you during the conversation as well. Call and tell us what you make of how we distribute and charge people for energy. Uh, what do you make of the way that DTE in particular handles this? Uh, most of us in the city of Detroit, that's our energy provider. Uh, Do you think they do a pretty good job of making sure that people have access to power, even if uh, they're maybe not flush with money in their pockets? Or do you think they ought to be thinking about this in different ways, thinking more about access and maintaining it than they are about profitability? DTE is an incredibly profitable company, uh, even as it shuts off power uh, to people who Uh, don't have much means uh, at all. As always, the number here on the phones is 313-577-1019. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to the WDET Facebook page and put comments there. Or you can go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today, and we can work into the conversation that way. Of course, we especially want to hear from folks who have had a hard time 
keeping up with their power bills? Uh, are you somebody who's experienced shutoffs? Um, give us a sense of what the relationship with, with DTE was like. Uh, how helpful were they in helping you keep up with the bills? Uh, how much of a break were they willing to give you? And if you did get shut off, how hard was it uh, to get power back? Again, 313-577-1019. And you can, go to, uh, you can go to social media as well to put, uh, to put comments there, and we'll work you into the conversation that way. Uh, of course, uh, Sarah, this disproportionately hits poor Detroiters, which means it disproportionately hits black Detroiters. Uh, that is a, a huge part of DTE's service area. Um, but uh, talk about the racial dimension of this and, of course, the economic dimension. This is something that exacerbates inequalities that we see in other, in other realms. Sure. I mean, I think that this is a really important part of these, of these questions, right? There's a couple of things. One thing is that we did want to see, you know, is the reason that there are more shutoffs um, in DTE service area, is that because people just don't have as much money? So we did compare the two service areas, DTE and consumers, in terms of income. And we found that surprisingly, actually, to me, that both of those service areas are about the same when it comes to the rate of poverty. So that's not an explanation for the shutoff. But of course, shutoffs do impact people who don't have money more. And there's fees associated with being shut off. Even when you're shut off for non-payment, you often have to pay a deposit to get turned back on. And that deposit can be hundreds of dollars. So that can make those shutoffs last longer. People who are getting help from the state to get their electricity turned back on, they don't have to pay those fees. But our reporting also found that, you know, about 40% of people who asked for help from the state were turned down. So, you know, it's a lot of people who think they need help who don't get it. The racial dimension is very important. What we know is that DTE service area has about three times as many African-American customers as consumer service area. Mm -hmm. But beyond that, we really don't know how, you know, black communities are impacted because DTE and consumers, none of the electric companies in the state have to show where the shutoffs are happening. All they do is give a blanket number of shutoffs and they don't say which zip codes they're happening in. If we knew that, then we really could see who is this impacting disproportionately, right? Where are these shutoffs happening? And what does that, what does that say? But we don't have that information. It's something that the Michigan Public Service Commission could ask for, but they have not asked for that. Yeah, yeah. Okay, when we come back, we're going to continue this conversation with Sarah Alvarez, editor-in-chief of Outlier Media, about DTE, uh, power and shutoffs and poverty here in Southeast Michigan. Uh, we will also get to you on the phones and on social media. Elena and Anthony in Detroit, uh, you'll be up first. If you want to join them, 313-577-1019 is the number here on the phones. And you can go to Facebook or Twitter for comments there, and we'll work you into the conversation. We'll be right back with more Detroit Today.
WDET is your connection to what's happening in Detroit. WDET is your place for open dialogue about the issues that impact you. Stay in the know. This is WDET FM, Detroit's NPR station. This is Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. Stephen Henderson, and as always, thanks for tuning in. My guest right now is Sarah Alvarez. She is the founder and editor-in-chief of Outlier Media and also the author of a piece in ProPublica titled Lights Out, Profitable Utility Company Shut Off Electricity to Homes Hundreds of Thousands of Times. We're talking about how DTE Energy, which provides energy to most of us here in southeast Michigan, handled people who couldn't come up with enough money for their electric bills, especially during the COVID-19 pandemic, when economic stress, along with lots of other forms of stress, of course, was at an absolute peak. Uh, How cooperative was DTE with the idea that uh, people were hurting and that uh, they, they needed energy uh, more desperately, perhaps, than they did uh, before. Um, we want to hear from you as well during the conversation. Call and tell us what you make of companies like DTE, which uh, make profit off of uh, providing electricity, uh, and decide how to do that according to for-profit ideals rather than thinking of them uh, perhaps as public goods. A little later in the show, we are going to talk specifically about how we might shift away from that for-profit paradigm when we're talking about things like uh, energy. Uh, But call and tell us how you uh, find the relationship with with DTE right now. Uh, Are you someone who has had to deal with shutoffs? Are you someone who's fallen behind on your bills? Tell us what kind of help you've gotten from DTE. Uh, Tell us uh, how you've gotten your power back on once uh, it was shut off. As always, the number here on the phones is 313-577-1019. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to social media, to Facebook and Twitter, and we can work into the conversation that way. Before we get to listener, Sarah, I want to spend some time talking about DTE's responses uh, to to your reporting and give you a chance to, to answer uh, some of their criticisms. Uh, the, the, the first is that they say that they had a moratorium on power shutoffs for a time. You, you, you've talked about that. But they also say that customers have service restored within 48 hours, 85% of uh, the time. Um, why was this still a big deal? Talk about why shutoffs matter, I suppose. Uh, if uh, DTE is able to get the power back on so quickly? Is this just a matter of inconvenience then, uh, as I think they're suggesting? Well, I mean, in Southeast Michigan, I think a lot of people who haven't been disconnected for non-payment, we've still seen, you know, power outages because of big storms or, you know, whatever. So I think that there's a lot of people that are familiar with losing their power for even a couple of days. And I think that it depends how big of a deal that is, right? Like it depends on how much food you have in your refrigerator and if you're able to keep it cold. It depends on if you're able to, in the case of non-payment, if you're able to come up with the money to get turned back on and what you have to do to come up with that money. Like I said, those deposits can be hundreds of dollars. Um, So I think that, and 
15% of those people are not getting reconnected within 48 hours. So because these numbers are very large, because the number of shutoffs is very large, it means that the number of people who are not getting reconnected quickly is also significant. So it's not, you know, I think that those are, are things that we should really think about. And again, if we had better data from the Michigan Public Service Commission, we could know, like, well, if you're not getting reconnected in 48 hours, are you getting reconnected in 50 or are you getting reconnected in two to three weeks or mm. a month, mm. right? Like, this is an area where I feel like we need more information. Mm. Uh, DTE also points out that in FY 2021, eligible DTE customers have received $119 million in financial aid. They expect that number to grow to $163 million this year. And DTE talks a lot about the the efforts it makes to help people who fall behind on their bills to avoid uh, shutoffs. Talk about why um, that's not, or in your estimation, is that a significant part of the story that, that uh, you know, they're making an effort here uh, to, to make sure that people don't get cut off, but that they are, uh, you know, enrolled in, in payment plans, all, all, all kinds of other kinds of things. Sure. I mean, I think that that is significant. It's important, though, that 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 hundreds of millions of dollars, that's federal dollars and state dollars. Right. So that's money that we are paying um, as taxpayers that's helping people who can't pay. And as ratepayers, we also pay. Right. So it's it is that they're connecting people to help. But it's not that that money is actually coming from the utility. It's coming from us. Um and, you know, I think that they have stepped up their attempts to connect people to help um, more readily, which I think is great. But it's really a question of, like, how are we going to pay for this? Is this something that should be subsidized, right? If they, Should the cost be high and then we subsidize it with, in all of these different ways? Or, you know... Is there an option for the cost not to be high? These are the types of questions that I think are also important when we're talking about shutoffs and the cost of energy. Uh, I should also point out that DTE asserts uh, quite strongly that uh, any implication that they're targeting people of color for service interruptions is is false. Uh, oh, and I didn't make that. And that's not what assertion. you're saying. Yeah, Ab- I mean, absolutely not. You're really asking a question, I think, about uh, whether there is a disproportionate impact on African Americans, and and as you pointed out, there's not data, uh, or right. they won't won't share the data uh, to let us know exactly what's going on there. Absolutely, this is all about a question of impact. Right. It's not about intent. It's about these these numbers, which are incredibly high and I think worth examining more closely. And, yeah, you're right. Like we just don't have the data, but this is a public service. And so maybe we should. You know, Stephen, I think it's important to contrast this with water shutoffs, which got, you know, so much attention in Detroit for so long. Mm -hmm. And one reason why is because we're able to see how many water shutoffs there are because the Detroit Water and Sewerage Department is a public entity and we can ask them lots of questions and we have the right to get answers as as reporters, right? They have to respond to our Freedom of Information Act requests. 
That's not the case with utilities. So we really have, you know, much less data and know much less about this, even though it's also, you know, a utility that we have to use every day. Again, 313 577 1019 is the number here on the phones. I want to read some social media comments. Uh, Big Neo says, I dislike how DTE charges you for the creation of electricity and then charges you to deliver the electricity to you. They also charge a reconnect fee when the only thing they really need to do to reconnect a customer is press a key on a computer. High corporate greed. Jen on Twitter says, we deserve better than DTE. Uh, High rates dragging their feet on transitioning away from fossil fuel. Uh, One wind in power uh, goes out. Who hasn't lost service uh, in the past year? Uh, Michael on Twitter says, might seem small to people with money, but isn't there also a reconnection fee when they have to reconnect people? Yes, uh, in fact, Michael, there is. Uh, let's start on the phones today with uh, Elena in Detroit. Elena, welcome to the show. Yeah, twice in the last six months I've lost power, once by being cut off by DTE and the other for a power outage, which occurred and I didn't have power for three days and I lost all the food in my refrigerator. And there was absolutely no compensation offered by DTE or else if you stand in some kind of a line for hours, you get $25 sitting on line. But I wanted to um, also just point out that DTE told me, because it was a dead of winter when mine was cut off, and I received several calls also from people in the community. One person in particular who didn't speak English and had a baby in her house, their, their power was shut off. And they told me that it was okay for them to shut off if it was 15 degrees. That's their bottom. Mm. So we can freeze in our houses. If the power goes off in the morning, which it did, at 15 degrees, you can rest assured that it's below zero that night. Mm. And if you didn't have the money, you just don't have any, any heat. Keeping in mind, this is a monopoly. There isn't a choice. This is the only game in town. If it's 15 degrees outside, you can freeze outside, and your house will be freezing in no time. I also do not want to lose sight of the fact that DTE spent millions of dollars in lobbying against Proposal P in our charter, which would have helped to protect us from these utility shutoffs. Mm. So, so, DTE uh, spent multiple, multiple millions of dollars in lobbying, and the CEO is a multimillionaire while the rest of us can freeze or die of heat. Yeah. Yeah, uh, Elena, I, I want to get you to talk a little more about the, sh- the shutoff um, uh, th- that you experienced and what it what it took to to get the power back and how quickly you were able to do that. To do it quickly because I went to an organization that was able to help me. And there are organizations out here that do that, but this is something that is a real problem. DTE is basically also philanthropy, right? So why should we have to go and ask an organization for money to pay this monopoly? And I was able to do that, and I was able to get help for this woman who, who basically the family could not go and plead on their own behalf because of their immigration status. There are many people in that situation that are completely invisible. They're off the radar, but they're still dependent on the same grid as the rest of us. 
I want to say that, yeah, I was able to get help through an organization, but it didn't help to lower my bill. It didn't help to make DTE more fair. It didn't help to open up any kind of other utilities. It just simply meant that I have to go and get money from these organizations that themselves get money from DTE through philanthropy. This is a perverse situation. Yeah. Uh, Elena, I'm really glad you called and uh, shared your really specific experience with uh, with DTE and, and pointed out some of the ways that uh, this all kind of folds back on itself in, in many ways, the way that money flows in our community and the way that help is designed is in some ways uh, a, a little a little nonsensical. Uh, Sarah, I wonder what your reaction is to Elena's story. I mean, I heard, unfortunately, I heard hundreds of stories similar, um, right, where people really are scrambling um, and trying to get trying to get help. Um, like Elena said, you know, there are rules about when the power companies can shut off electricity. Um, and so DTE won't shut off power when the forecast is down to 15 degrees or the wind chills below zero for at least two days in a row. Um, they also have rules about how hot it can get. But like Elena said, maybe the forecast was 17 degrees, but it was actually 15 degrees, right? And people can be very cold in their homes. And so there's, it's also, I think what Elena was saying is like the stress of this is also a really significant thing. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, and that's to say nothing, for instance, of the difficulties you have in a home when you shut the power off and it's very cold, for instance. Mm-hmm. Uh, all kinds of other things happen. There are other kinds of consequences that uh, that you can end up facing that don't have anything directly to do with power, but have to do with, with your house. I mean, the, the, the idea of pipes freezing, uh, that kind of thing, um, it, it can really cause... Lots more disruption than just uh, than just the loss of power. Elena, again, thanks very much for the call and the, the insight. Let's go to Aaron in Jefferson Chalmers. Aaron, welcome to the show. Hello. I live on the east side of Detroit, and with some frequency I hear little generators. People are generating their own electricity, presumably because they cannot afford to pay DTE and I believe that as the price of solar panels and lithium batteries goes down, we're going to have a, a battle of sorts between people who want to generate their own electricity mm. and the utility. That's going to come in the future really quick. So these generators that you're hearing, Aaron, do you believe them to be fuel-based, or how, how, how are they getting power? These are camping or construction type generators that really shouldn't be used to power a house, but that's yeah, what no, people do. There are two cycle generators that are gas or, and oil powered and loud. Yeah. Right. Yeah. No, that's, I mean, I, I hear what you're saying and I understand, I think why people would do that. It is not a really great idea. It's pretty, it's kind of unsafe and, and it's super inefficient as well. Uh, Sarah, this idea of people trying to move away from, the big utility companies is interesting. I don't know that it's very practical given the setup that we have here in Michigan that that hands, uh, you know, a, a near monopoly, if not an outright one, to to a company like DTE. Right, but I think that that's where a lot of the tension is. And I will say about generators, I did speak to 
um, one of the captains at the Detroit Fire Department. Um, it didn't make it into the final piece, but he said that, you know, there every year they do calls for people who are running generators in their homes, um, which is extremely unsafe because mm-hmm. of the fumes. So that is something that people do um, and, and definitely should not do. Um, but yeah, I think that that's part of the issue, right? Like, so utilities have a monopoly on two different things. They have a monopoly on power generation, which like, you know, is, is it solar or coal plants or whatever, right? Like they have a monopoly on generation and then they have a monopoly on distribution, which is the utility line. Mm-hmm. And there is a lot of conversation and um, disagreement over whether or not utilities should still retain that monopoly on power generation, given that you it's possible to be a small solar company, right? But we're always, I think, going to need to, at least for the near future, we're definitely going to need to still rely on companies like DTE for the, for the distribution. But um, not surprisingly, they also want to keep their monopoly on the generation. And there is a lot of conflict about that. Yeah. Yeah. Again, Aaron, uh, really appreciate the call uh, and the comments. Let's go to Anthony in Southwest Detroit. Anthony, what's on your mind? Oh, Stephen, well, uh, DTE, you're giving them a bad rap. I mean, they sponsored the local baseball team. They fixed up our park. They, they uh, you know, sponsored my favorite concert series, and they underwrite basically the whole Michigan legislator. I think you're, <laughs> you're, you're not counting their charitable giving very much. <laughs> Anthony, I know you're being uh, facetious, uh, but, but you're making a very good point about the kind of things that, uh, that DTE does that I think lots of us uh, benefit from and enjoy and um, that those things are, are done in, in a way that I think is intended to blunt some of the criticism that they receive for, you know, the way that they handle uh, power and the way they uh, handle shutoffs in, in particular. But Sarah, talk about these things that DTE, that DTE is doing, I guess, and, and whether, as Anthony says we ought to be, uh, I guess, less harsh on them because of it. I don't know that they, I think that they got, get lumped into the same conversation, right? So, you know, I have children in Detroit public schools and all of them have, you know, these devices that DTE did pay for, right? Yes. To make sure that kids in Detroit public schools could be connected during the pandemic, right? right. So they are doing things like that. And those things are community goods. They are in the same conversation with these shutoffs, and I think those can be separate conversations, right? Both things can be true. They can give a lot of money to charity and have a shutoff rate that is, you know, 47% higher than the second largest utility in the state. And those things are just separate, and we should look at them separately. Yeah. Uh, again, Anthony, uh, appreciate the call and uh, your humor there this uh, today. Uh, let's go to uh, Dave in Clinton Township. Dave, welcome to the show. Dave, I think you need to turn on your radio, bud. Yeah. I, I, yeah. Can you hear me okay now? Yeah, go ahead. Okay. Uh, uh, again, this is a Dave, Dave from, from Clinton Township. I'm in South Florida right now, uh, but I was listening to this morning and uh, – uh, I'm I'm in a, I worked in power plants uh, during my working career, hmm. and to start with, um, when I worked when when Mistersky, when the when the Detroit Public Lighting Commission was in its heyday, and we we had good good uh, 
good money supporting us, we mm-hmm. could produce electricity cheaper than Edison did. And on the midnight shift every night, we took a, a comparison how much coal we burned, how much uh, how much electricity we'd use to burn that coal and whole thing in a power plant, and we could uh, we could generate electricity daily cheaper than Detroit Edison could with their rates, their public rates. But what I'm calling about primarily is the city of Wyandotte. Uh, the city of Wyandotte has a, a cooperative uh, electricity, cooperative gas, cooperative even even their internet is cooperative. And, I, and I'm so proud of the city of Wyandotte. They've maintained it for all these years. And, of course, Detroit Edison doesn't like that. <laughs> so there's been all kinds of efforts to try to eliminate it. But I'm yeah. surprised if somebody from Wyandotte hasn't called in. To me, that's a, that's the we should we should have cooperative everything there, and yeah. it would it would work an awful lot better for us. That's a really interesting uh, point of reference, Dave. I'm glad you called and and shared it with us, Sarah. I I did not know about this uh, cooperative in Wyandotte, but it sounds like the kind of thing that could be a community answer to the difficulties uh, keeping access to everybody, um, you know, regardless of their of their ability to pay. Sure. I mean, you know, for-profit utility companies are not the only model. They're the model that we chose as a country, you know, back in the beginning of the um, of the 20th century, and we've stuck with it. But there are, you know, public utilities, there are cooperatives, um, there are a lot of other ways, but these these utilities are are the way that most of us get our power are through for-profit, um, but publicly regulated utilities. Yeah, yeah. Okay, Sarah Alvarez, uh, Editor-in-Chief of Outlier Media. Always great to chat with you, but especially great to talk to you about uh, this new reporting. Thanks so much for joining us on Detroit Today. Thank you, and thanks to all of your callers. Sure. Coming up, we're going to continue this conversation, and we're going to talk about what it would look like if utilities were treated more like public goods. We're going to talk with someone who is doing a lot of thinking about that. Uh, We also want to continue to talk with you on the phones. 313-577-1019 is the number. Call and tell us what you think of DTE, of the relationship you have with the power companies. Also still want to hear from folks who've had trouble maintaining their power, having enough money to keep the power on. Uh, What was that experience like? Uh, You can also go to social media, Facebook or Twitter. The comments there, and we'll work you into the conversation. We'll be right back with more Detroit Today. to Detroit Today on 101.9 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, thanks for tuning in. We're talking sour about power, access to power for most of us here in Southeast Michigan. That means a relationship with DTE, a pretty big for-profit company that uh, provides power uh, to our homes. That relationship uh, has been fraught for a long time, for especially for people who struggle uh, to, to pay their bills. Um, new report in ProPublica shows that during the pandemic, when even more of us were struggling, uh, DTE engaged in hundreds of thousands of 
shutoffs. Uh, we're talking about uh, why that happened, uh, but also talking about what a different model would look like, what a different approach to making sure that everybody has access to power might look like. And that's where our next guest enters the conversation. Johanna Bozua uh, is executive director of the Climate and Community Project Think Tank. She wrote a piece titled, uh, COVID-19 Makes Clear Energy and Water Are Public Goods. That piece appeared in The Hill. Johanna, welcome to Detroit Today. Hi, Stephen. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah. So let's talk about why our utilities, some of them at least, are under for-profit models and not under public control. Why are things like heat, water, and electricity not made public goods everywhere in our country? Oh, man. Well, that's a really good question. And it really depends on the type of utility. Water, for instance, 88% of our water systems in the United States are held publicly. But if you put that in contrast with electricity, only 28% of our electric utilities are either publicly owned or cooperatively owned. And um, that has a lot to do with when uh, these, these utilities started to show up. Water utilities and sewage systems had already started. They, they've been around for a long time. They are these small municipal systems that the private sector didn't really have their eyes on. Whereas in contrast, um, a, electric utilities were really this new commodity uh, that were coming in with Thomas Edison that they commodified and they created these massive electric holding companies that uh, you know really took uh, control over the, the electricity provision in the towns. But when we started to see that push back was when they, uh, they started to extort ratepayers in, in a lot of ways. And that people started to realize that this was really crucial to their daily lives now. Electricity had become part of the fabric of, uh, of the United States. And in during the um, coming up to the New Deal, that was when we started to see communities fight back against these private electric utilities that were taking their money and saying, hey, we could be doing this a different way. We should actually have ownership over these uh, over these assets, over these wires that are going through our town, mm -hmm. and um, that's why in the New Deal, actually, um, FDR created a, the Rural Electrification Administration right. that also helped to bring electricity to so much of the United States where private utilities would not go. Um, and listening to into one of your listeners earlier talking about a co-op in Michigan, those types of co-ops are across the entire country and, um, and were really crucial to electrifying a rural America. Yeah, yeah. So let's talk about how this all changed during the pandemic, at least uh, mm. the thinking about it, I think, changed during the pandemic is people were more desperate for, you know, right. um, for money, first of all, but then for the things that money buys, which in, in many cases is, you know, utilities. Uh, are, are there more places that are thinking about putting energy and water into the hands of public control uh, because of moratoriums and, and other measures that we took during the pandemic to, to protect people? Yeah, I think you're exactly right. This has really entered into people's consciousness in a, in a whole new world because that uh, pandemic and the corresponding economic crisis really exposed people to just how unacceptable and unfair their energy system was. And the, the fact that I think there was some reporting by the Center for Biological Diversity that showed that families had their power cut 
cut nearly a million times between July 2020 and 2021. Um, and that they were receiving over $1.25 billion in government bank bailouts at the same time. So that really enlivened the conversation. It was really clear, like the experience that people were having on the ground of households being shut off. And we saw um, really a, a surge of activism on this. And um, two campaigns that I'll, I'll pull out for you are actually in the state of Maine. They are, there is a campaign right now that is gaining substantial bipartisan traction to take over the entire state's utility. Um, there's ongoing legislation and now an, uh, a ballot measure to um, actually kick the investor-owned utility out. Uh, and similarly, we're looking in New York, New York State ha already actually has a pu public utility there called the New York Power Authority that they're saying, hey, now we could actually use this utility to provide energy for all of New York State um, and actually uh, similarly kick out the investor owned utilities there. Hmm. Hmm. Uh, we're talking about the idea of. Removing the for-profit context uh, in which we relate to things like utilities, uh, energy, water, uh, all of these things that we use as fee-for-service. We're talking with Johanna Bozoa, who's executive director of the Climate and Community Project Think Tank. Uh, she wrote a piece in The Hill titled, COVID-19 Makes Clear Energy and Water Are Public Goods. Uh, I want to hear from you as well. What do you make of organizations that own our energy in this country? Do you think we ought to rethink that uh, and make them more accessible to people by making them public goods? As always, the number here on the phones is 313-577-1019. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to the WDET Facebook page or to Twitter, put comments there, and uh, we can work you into the conversation. A couple more social media comments. Michael says, why are we messing with these companies, especially in Southeast Michigan, where our utilities have failed us and killed us multiple times in the past 10 years? He says, it's a good idea to make utilities a public good. Diane on Twitter says, uh, it's also a good idea to make them public goods. Along those lines, I'd like to see gas companies get flipped to thermal companies. They stop moving and leaking gas and instead make loops that deliver ground heated water to heat exchangers in houses. I worry that the Michigan Public Service Commission mandate not including decarbonization is uh, a dead end. Uh, let's go to, back to the phones here. Uh, Harry in Sterling Heights. Harry, what's on your mind? Yes, great subject. Uh, I was an econ major back many years ago at, uh, at Wayne State and one thing I learned about uh, investment in, in, in uh, development and research, research and development for major corporations. And back then, the, the big three weren't noted for doing that. Obviously, they never made uh, electric cars, but they made a statement that the utilities are one of the least um, profound investors in research and development in their products. You know, they've been making electricity the same way for how many years? You know, it's like the car companies, you know, how many years we've making for gas never changed until, you know, Elon Musk came along. So, yeah. Hmm. Uh, it's, a, it's a great question, um, uh, Harry. Johanna, what's your, what's your response to his, his question here? Yeah, well, I think what uh, really comes out in, in that response is just this need to be thinking about the future of our energy system, right? Like, we need to be thinking about what happens next. And they have 
uh, utility companies like DTE, like Southern Company, are stuck in an old way of doing things. They're very fat and happy operating as they do based off of fossil fuels and not thinking about electrification, for instance, of our transportation systems. And uh, they are actively pushing against uh, renewable energy and the, the energy transition. We've seen, you know, millions of dollars poured into lobbying to stop things like renewable energy standards, like uh, rooftop solar, all of these things that can actually support us and, uh, you know, having a renewable energy on the grid and, and also to make sure that we can live on a livable planet. And that's really because they are far more interested in the status quo and providing a, you know, money back to their shareholders in the ways that they have been doing for hundreds of years now. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Vernon really appreciate the call uh, and the comments. Let's go next to Jack in Highland park. Jack, welcome to the show. Hey, good hi. To, uh, good to be here. Mm-hmm. Um, and Johanna, good to hear your voice as well. Um, oh. I'm calling in because I wanted to mention that there are actually two efforts happening in Southeast Michigan right now for public power. There's a huge growing campaign in Ann Arbor um, to explore this, but in parallel on kind of the most opposite end of the spectrum um, demographically, um, there are a number of Highland Parkers now organizing for public power in a city that is uh, the opposite in terms of size, resources, and demographics. Mm-hmm. Um, that has been uh, continually passed over for infrastructure improvements. And I just, you know, I wanted to call and raise that up, that communities basically across the entire breadth of identity and experience in Southeast Michigan are, like, actively working for this stuff. Mm. And there are huge opportunities for uh, the state of Michigan and local governments to actually really support these efforts and really support these alternatives um, with DT filing another huge rate hike um, uh, immediately on the heels of the pandemic. Um, Clearly, things are just not going to get better under this model uh, unless we start seeing some real change in what they're pressured to do. Jack, I'm really glad you (coughs) called and referred to those things, especially what's going on in Highland Park, which I think is fascinating right now because it's a a community that does have a lot of needs and those needs aren't being met by uh, either the water system that we all uh, uh, rely on here, DWSD or, or GLIWA, and, um, uh, and and by DTE. Uh, Johanna, I've got about 30 seconds left, but I want to make uh, sure you get a chance to respond to what Jack's saying here. Yeah, absolutely. I think that the, the, the work that's being done in Highland Park is exactly the type of um, community resurgence. We're seeing people banding together and showing that there is this alternative path and that like we can actually govern our utilities. This is something that is well within our capacity and that there um, there's a huge amount of organizing that's happening on the ground right now to redefine what a utility means to its community. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Johanna Bozo, uh, great to have you here with us on Detroit Today. Thanks so much for joining. Yeah. Thank you so much, Stephen. It's going to do it for us today. Come back tomorrow when we're going to talk with the National Urban League president about the state of voting rights in this country. Not a great state right now. This is 1019 WDETFM, Detroit's NPR station. Your connection to news, music, and conversation. We'll talk again tomorrow.